Everybody make it through the ice? Boy, that was surprising this morning. Hopefully you got it. We salted and uh, careful walking out this morning. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here this morning. How many of you, um, there, there was a time in your life where um, you knew that you needed glasses? Okay, how, how many of you, how many of you, that was, that was, that was a, a tough obstacle to get over knowing that you needed glasses. It was like, man, you know, some of you, maybe were your, as a child, you just, you needed them and you were used to them. But some of you, you, you as you got older, uh, your eyes got weaker and then you came to that point like, man, I can't read. And that happened to me about five, six years ago. I, I just couldn't read the small print in my Bible anymore. And I just knew, uh, that I needed reading glasses. So, I went, had my eyes looked at, and the, the, the doctor said, yeah, you're, you still have um, 20-20, you just, you just need reading glasses now. She goes, you're just, you're old, you're just getting old, you're, your eyes are getting weaker, and I'm like, man, I just don't, you know, really, man, I, and, uh, and so that's, that's a hard thing to admit, but it's amazing that uh, they fitted me for reading glasses, and it's all of a sudden, then when you read that small print, isn't it amazing that uh, when you open up a book or your Bible and it's small print, you put those glasses on, how clear everything is. It's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is great. I can see things so clearly. And that's what we've been talking about over the last month. We've been looking at how can we have a, a clear vision? How, how can we as a church walk in unity and have a clear vision of what God has called us to do? And, and so we need to put the glasses on of Jesus to understand what do you have for us. What fractures a church and what fractures our life is when we don't have a clear vision. We don't know uh, where we're, we're going. And, and how many of you know that if you don't know where you're going, you're, gonna, you're probably going in a million different directions, right? Have you, have you ever had that conversation with your spouse where you had one opinion and they had the other and you just knew you were right? And you're trying to convince the other person Maybe maybe you get in those little tense arguments about things and um, it can get tense in your house because you have the way of looking at something and then your spouse has another way of looking at something that's never happened to any of you out there. Is that, how many of you, you got in an argument just coming to church this morning? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want the ushers to escort you out. Um, it's hard because how many know that if, if, if your relationships, like maybe your married relationship is, is, is not in unison, it's going to cause a lot of problems and a lot of, a lot of issues. And we know that, that for, for marriages, the biggest struggle is just trying to get on the same page. Right? It's just, it's just trying to get on the same page. And, and, you know, it's all the same, whether it's a struggle with finances or family or, 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 or the kids, you know, how do we raise the kids? How do we discipline the kids? How do we do this? How many, can we just be honest this morning? Isn't it, isn't that what it is? It's about getting on the same page. And, and once you're on the same page and you, you, you walk in unity, you know, your, your kids are not, are not as stupid as you think they are. They're not as dumb as you think they are, right? They'll pin one parent against another, won't they? They'll say, well, I asked mom and she said, Right, and then they they try what what they try to do is to cause a fracture between the relationship. But if the if the parents come together and say, "No, your mother and I, father and I discussed this, and this is what we see. It's unity. It's working together. It's having the same vision. Unity occurs in the church when we have a clear vision." And so we need to understand what is the purpose of the church. And this is what we've been talking about. We're in the new year, 2020. We're talking about having a clear vision 
for the church. So we, we've been looking at these different topics of, of, of serving each other. That creates unity within the body. We talked about having prayer last week. We had, and, and this week we had our uh, mission celebration week where we talked about having a vision for the world. And that's our purpose to go out and make disciples uh, of all uh, nations. And so we're looking at all these core values that we see as a church. And when we focus on these things, it will cause us to walk in unity and be very powerful in our world today. And there's one reoccurring theme that we see consistently throughout the New Testament, and that's a call for unity. Jesus talked about unity. The New Testament writers talked about unity. And so why is unity so essential? It's for this reason. When relationships are unhealthy, they cause disorder. When relationships, whether it's in the church or whether it's in your marital relationship or family relationships or work relationships, right? When they are unhealthy, it causes disorder. When there is disunity in your marriage, there's going to be constant, constant tension. And so for this month, we've been looking at how we as a church can grow and walk in unity, and this is what I loved about this month, and I, and I hope some of you took advantage of uh, doing the devotionals um, every day and praying together every day and praying as a family, uh, praying with your your spouse. I hope you took advantage of that. We have your uh, devotional f- uh, for this week; it's it's in your bulletins. If you didn't get one, we have more out on the connect table. And uh, I just I love when we pray the same thing, when we're doing the same thing. Uh, when we're studying the same thing, I believe God works through that. So please take advantage of that uh, for, for this last week and continue to pray uh, for our church and, and for the unity of the church. Um, and, and here's the reason why I wanted to focus on this in the beginning of the year, because one of Jesus's last prayers uh, before his death and, and, and his resurrection was one of unity for the church. And listen to what Jesus says here. This is his high priestly prayer, one of his last prayers that he prayed before he would be arrested and before he would go to the cross and and his resurrection. But look what Jesus says here in John 17 and records it for us. He says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. And as you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. What What is the witness that Jesus says to the world that Christ is in us? It's how the church, the body of Jesus Christ, walks in unity. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to see eye to eye on things. That doesn't mean we're not going to have different opinions about things. But it's how we walk in unity and how we bear with one another, how we put up with one another in our idiosyncrasies, how we strive to to work on our relationships. When things are bruised, when relationships are broken, how are we as the church with the spirit of Christ working to reconcile that to give Christ the glory? Listen, we don't have to fake out the world and say uh, there's, there's no problems when there are problems. Amen. I, I think that's a disservice we give the world. I think it's a disservice when we try to create something in our life and put this veneer on that everything's perfect and we all look good and we smell good and we say the right things. And then when something bad or, or wrong happens in our life, there's a brokenness in our relationships. And then the world looks at us and they want to point and say, ha, hypocrite, right? But I think when we are humble and we say, you know what, I don't have it all together all the time. 
and, and, and we make mistakes. And, and guess what? The church isn't perfect. The church is a messy place. Can I get an amen? Right. We're, it, wherever people are, there's a mess. Amen? There just is. And Jesus says, how do we walk in unity? And are we humble about that? And do, do we admit, do we humble ourselves to the world when we mess up at work or we say something that we shouldn't or we're impatient? Do we go up to that coworker and say, you know what? I, got, I, I need your forgiveness here. I, I, I got impatient there. I lost my temper. Would you forgive me? It's a hard, I think that's much more endearing and gives much more glory to Christ than not admitting that. Because what the world does is they look at us and say, okay, there's somebody that, 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 that doesn't ask for forgiveness. There's somebody who's trying to hide something. But I think when we're honest and open about our shortcomings and our frailties, I believe that God is glorified. I believe Christ is glorified. And so as we walk as the church, we have to learn, God, how can we get, get along with one another? And are we striving um, to reconcile brokenness and relationships? And do we do it in the spirit of Christ and in love. So how do we create a culture of unity within our church? That, that we consistently create this culture of unity that Christ is glorified and that we're working on our relationships and that we're allowing God to be glorified in our relationships. Here's how we do that. We must see our church as a community. Listen to me closely. We cannot see our church as just a place we go once a week. We can't see our church as just a place I go once a week and I put in my hour and 10 or 15 minutes or sometimes if I'm long-winded, an hour and a half. I don't know what's going to happen today. Just just hold on and be patient, right? I, we, we can't, we, we, this is the way I grew up. How many of you were like this? You just went to church once a week and you, you, you put your, you know, you punched the clock and that was, you were done with it. I did my thing. I did my church duty. I didn't, as a youngster, and as my parents brought me to church, I didn't see church as a community. I just saw it as a place you go, you do your religious duty, and then you leave. But as we see, as we're going to see in the scriptures, we have to see the church as actually a community of believers. That's how we grow in the Lord. A community is, is, is followers of Christ actually doing life together. We're walking together with Christ through our brokenness, through the hard things in life. Church should be a community. We have to see it that way. And that's what I love about living word, because when someone's going through a difficult time, I love hearing people like, hey, you know, this person reached out to me, this person helped me. I know I can call this person to pray for me. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the church should be. And I believe when we see the church as a community of people that I can depend on, it's a beautiful thing. And so when I know I'm going through a difficult time, I can say, I know I can call on that person. Or if I need help, I know I can call on that person in the church. And the only way we can do that is if we see the church as a community and we're building relationships with one another. You can't do that if we just come on Sunday morning and punch the clock and then leave. Coming Sunday morning is great. We need to come together and worship and and corporate worship is wonderful. But, But there has to be so much more to that that we actually see that this is a place where I know people and I know other believers and I'm growing and I can count on them and I know that they will pray for me. The church is not about doing my own thing, but doing what's best 
for the whole, for the whole group. It's saying, God, I want you to use me as your instrument to help the whole body to grow. It's, it, and, and this is where the consumerism that we have in America is. It's more about what can I consume? What can the church do for me? Is, is, is there good teaching? Is there good preaching? Is there good worship? Is there enough good ministries for my kids or for my youth group? And all those things are fine and dandy, but I have to get to the point to where I say, you know what? What am I doing within the body of Christ to help glorify Jesus in his church? And so God wants to use your gifts and your talents to help build up the body of Christ. I love when I love when seeing people serve and you know just coming. I love coming in early on on Sunday morning. I really I just come and I just come here and I just speak. I, I like that. I just I mean you know the coffee's getting made. Someone's here already. Um, you know people are getting the you know the guest gifts together. The worship team's worshiping. I mean it's just you know the 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 connect cards and the prayer cards someone came in ruth came in earlier that week to make sure everything was right in your seats and she prayed for you that you would get right with god she would get saved right she would repent all right um that that's all done by volunteers all the posters we see for our missions week was done by a group of people that came in on a friday to do all of this you know, that's, I love seeing that. And I just come in on Sunday morning and I just speak. I, I like that. It's a good, I don't, I'm not worried about, did this get done? Did that get done? Did this get done? Because I know that there are people that are serving that say, you know what? I want God to use me. And I'm going to take this burden off pastor so he doesn't have to worry that he's not up all night. Did, did the bulletins get done? Did this get done? Did this get did, People have taken responsibility of that to say, you know what? I love my church and I want to be used. And I love that. I love that about living word. I love when you step up in that way to help. The majority of the things that get done in our church are done by volunteers. The majority of the things that happen here are done by you because you stepped up to the plate and said, I want God to use me. That brings unity within our church because you care about the church and you want Jesus to be glorified. And so we need each other to grow. If you see the church as a community, then you need to be part of the community. You need to be involved in the community. Is everything in the community going to be perfect? Absolutely not. The closer we get to one another, right, the more we see each other's flaws, right? The, the more you, you, know, you come to your house and you begin to really look over things like, oh, there's a dust bunny. There's, oh, I need to vac. I need to do that, right? You, 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 the closer you get to it, the more you see the flaws. And this is where Christ can be glorified because this is how we work with each other through our flaws and we love each other and we still serve each other even though we all have our shortcomings. Amen? Do we all have shortcomings? Let's have a little therapy session right now. We, we got it. It's great, great to admit that. I, there's, a, there's a really great little small book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I love this book. If you can get it, I would grab it. It's, just, it's not a long read. But it's a great book. And for those of you who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who was actually executed in a Nazi concentration camp right at the end of World War II. And um, he, he's got this quote in the book that I just love. It's, it's a beautiful quote on the community of the body of Christ and what it should look like. And he said, this is why the community of Christ is so essential. Here's what Dietrich says in his book, Life Together. He says, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, listen to this, 
the more will everything else between us recede. That's a great quote. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ, we do have one another wholly and for eternity. What I love about this quote is what Dietrich is saying here. What Bonhoeffer is saying here is the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another, we begin to do the work that Jesus Christ has called us to do. And all of a sudden, these little things that maybe that irritate us or bother us um, seem to fade away. Because what's more important is if Christ is being glorified. It's not about getting my way. It's about, it's about allowing Christ to be glorified in his body. And so when we begin to serve and we begin to serve Jesus, we begin to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my self-glorification. It really is about Jesus. And I need to humble myself. And when I'm serving Jesus, am I serving with the right motives? Am I doing it for you because I want you to be glorified in your church? The moment we begin to serve ourselves is the moment we begin to get irritated and feel like, well, no one's thanking me for this or this person does this or whatever. And we begin to fight because we begin to lose our vision about community. And community is about Jesus and serving him and loving one another. And so when we share the same vision, we're going to walk in unity. When we share the same vision, we will walk in unity. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing in our life. Is, is Jesus' work the one and only thing in your life? I mean, that's a great question to ask yourself. And so what Paul does for us, he writes to this church in Philippi. And he loves this church. It's, 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 for the most part, a very healthy church. But I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. And, and he tells the church, listen, I don't want you to lose your way. It's so easy for us to get distracted and to, and, and to have infighting and to bicker with one another. He, he didn't want to lose their way. And listen to what he says to, to them, recorded for us in chapter 2 here. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ as fellow believers, if, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, do this, make my joy complete. This is what's going to make me happy. He's not talking about church growth or how big their church is. He says, this is what's going to make my joy complete. He says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And I want you to notice the words that, that Paul uses. He says, he uses the word united, fellowship, tenderness, compassion, like-minded love, one in spirit, one in purpose. Everything that Paul says here to the Philippians is all about unity. He goes, make my joy complete by being one and having the same mind as Christ. So let me, let me just give you the background to Paul's letter here to the church, because this is interesting. Let me put this in, into context for you. Um, what Paul does here is, is, is Paul's writing to them. He actually started uh, this church in the city of, of, of Philippi, and it's, it's located in eastern Macedonia, and he started this on a second missionary journey. And it was actually the first church that Paul founded in the country of Europe. And, and so Philippi was really, it was a colony of retired 
Roman soldiers. And basically what these retired Roman soldiers would do would just sit around all day and play euchre. They would just play cards. No, I'm just... Does anybody know what euchre is? Fun card game. Okay, just check. No, I'm just teasing. But it was, it was a, a colony of retired Roman soldiers. And so Paul writes this letter to them while he's actually in jail uh, for preaching the gospel. And so this church was kind to Paul and they supported him. And actually they supported him for the rest of his life. And, and you know, for, for Paul, there could have been a stigma because he was in jail, but they did not turn their back on him. And, um, and, and they encouraged him and they, they supported him. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them in, in their faith. And Paul knew that they could easily lose their way if they didn't stay focused on Christ and continually clothe themselves in Christ. And so what Paul focused on, what Jesus focused on in John 17 through his prayer is unity in the church. He wanted to make sure that they would continue to progress in their faith. And, and that's, I think, for all of us. This is something that we need to encourage all of us to do is how am I progressing in my faith? Am I growing in my knowledge of Jesus Christ? Am I becoming a disciple more and more of Jesus Christ? And the church can help you to do this, but how many know it's got to be an action on my part? I need to be proactive. I need to get involved. I need to be engaged. We can, we can lead you to the water tank, right? But we can't make you drink. We, we, can, we can offer you different ways to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, but we can't, we can't make you drink. Yeah, that's, that's something that you have to do to say, I, I need to be proactive in how I'm growing in my faith and how I'm serving the church. So Paul in his letter, what he, he mentions that, that some uh, would cause conflict within the church, and Paul warns them. And warns the church to be careful of this. And this is how you remain healthy as a church. So Paul knows that they will face um, opposition. Uh, and, and, and that would uh, cause tension within their unity. And he says, stay faithful to Christ. So Paul doesn't want them to rest or, or put their faith in, in cruise control. Have you ever done that with just your faith? You're just like, okay, yeah, I do my devotions and I go to church. And then you feel like something's missing in my walk with the Lord, I've just kind of got it on cruise control. It's not a good place to be. We have to continually to challenge ourselves to continually grow in the Lord and to do something that, that might challenge me that I've never done before. And I would challenge you to do that. So Paul doesn't want them to just rest. Paul presents to them a model for keeping unity within the church. And so what Paul does for them is he gives them in, in chapter 2 this ultimate example of Jesus and, and how, how Jesus took on the role of a servant to serve us and how Jesus shows us the way to servanthood. Jesus willingly took the role of a servant and humbled himself for our sake and he laid his rights down for us. And I'm like, well, why, why would Paul say this to a church that obviously loved that obviously supported him, that obviously there wasn't any major, major concerns within the church, and obviously the church was overall healthy. Why would Paul, in the second chapter, in his letter, uh, tell them about Jesus and what Jesus laid down and how he became a servant and how our attitude should be that of, of Christ? The reason why Paul did that is because he knew if we don't keep our eyes on Christ, 
If we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and what he's done for us, if we don't keep our eyes on serving, what's going to happen is we turn inward. And, and, and we, we have these expectations in our life like, uh, you know, well, this needs to happen and um, why isn't this happening? And, and it's just so easy to get this entitlement attitude and we can have that within the church too. And so what Paul says, listen, listen, Philippians, don't take your eyes off of Christ and what he did for you, that he gave up everything for you, that he laid his, and here Jesus is God. He's Lord. He's the only God. He's Lord. And he gave up everything to serve you. Don't forget that. Have that same attitude. And so the way to keep unity in the church is through servanthood. And so Paul understood that the only way that the church would remain healthy was if it continued to serve each other with the heart of Christ. And, and here's, here's where I would just um, challenge you. You know, in your, in your devotional time with the Lord and, and I would just take time when you're alone with the Lord and just allow him to speak to you and just, just say, God, I'm going to give you permission to go into every room in my house. How many of you know that there are certain rooms that if you have guests over, you don't want them going in because you didn't clean it. Right. And maybe it's the basement. Like, please don't go in our basement. Please don't go down there. Whatever. You know, it, it, they're just, but here's the thing. When we, um, when we're honest with the Lord, we, we, we kind of want to give our good side, right? You know, I think what's important is when we get alone with the Lord, you say, God, I give you permission to go into every room. And here's a part of my life that's not great. Here's a part of my life that I know that I'm struggling with. And, and I want to open the door to that to give you access to deal with me. See, that's allowing God to have permission. It's allowing Christ to have permission into your life to work on those areas that he needs to work on. And isn't God faithful to help us? He's tender. He wants to deal with those things in our life. But when we hide those and we lock the door, we, we have to remind ourselves that my personal struggle or my personal sin, it just doesn't affect me only. If, if I don't deal with that, eventually it's going to spill out into my relationships. It's going to spill out into my marriage. And it ultimately, it will spill out into the church. And I believe that if we want to continue to have unity within our body and to create a healthy place within our church, we have to allow God to first deal with us and our heart issues and, and never buy the lie that my sin is just my sin. That, that my shortcomings are just my shortcomings, that it doesn't bother anybody else. Please don't buy that lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell, by the way. Just remind yourself that, God, I want you to deal with my heart, even though we may struggle and we may continually struggle, but Christ can help you in your struggle. And, and when we do that, we're honest with the Lord, and then it won't seep out into the community of Christ. You see, the reason why Paul had why Paul had such issue with the Corinthian church, especially surrounding communion, is that when they would come together, they would have a fellowship meal and they would eat together and then they would, they would take communion. But what was happening, the richer Corinthians would come and they would get drunk and they would, they would eat all the food. Then when the, the poorer Corinthians would come, there'd be nothing for them. And they, they, just, they, they didn't understand what communion was all about. And what he's saying was, what you're doing is affecting your other brothers and sisters. You have no concern for them. 
You only have concern for yourself and what you're getting out of it. But what you're doing is affecting the whole church. And so be remindful of, do do that at home. You know, eat at home. (laughs) When you come together, understand that you're coming together under the unity of Christ and what he has done for you. And you're you're celebrating his his, his death and, and how that cleanses you and makes you whole before the Lord. So he says, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts before you do this to make sure that your hearts are right. And so that's what I would just, that's what I would just encourage you is when you're alone with the Lord, just give him, just say, God, I give you permission and be honest with him and just pour that out to him. And God is so faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. Amen. So I believe when we start there, it, it really seeps that, that seeps over into the whole body of, of Christ and doesn't give the enemy a foothold into our life. So I want to go back to what Paul wrote to the church in that chapter and look at these words again in, in, in the beginning of Philippians chapter two. Um, and he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And here's the words that he uses, united fellowship, tenderness, compassion, like-minded love, one in spirit, one in purpose. And all of these words help us to live in community. I want you to notice that Paul never talks about individuality. He shares how we can walk in oneness. And let me just say this, we have to fight for oneness in the church. It will not come naturally. Here's the reason why the default of my heart is always to protect me. Somebody give me an amen. It just is the default of my heart is always to go back to me and to protect myself and what I want and what I desire. So we have to fight. If if we're going to continue to walk in unity as a church, we got to fight for it, that we walk in the spirit of Christ, that we're fighting for each other, that we're praying for each other, that we're allowing our uh, differences to come under the oneness of Christ and to put up with one another and to put up with each other's idiosyncrasies in love and not trying to cause division by what I say or gospel or whatever those things might be that would divide the church. We have to fight for unity because it's not something that naturally comes to us. And so here's what Paul says that this, these words are fighting for unity. And this is something that we all must battle against in in our culture. And it's that me mentality. In fact, I was, I read a really interesting article. It was a secular article. It wasn't um, written by a Christian, but it was an interesting article because it caught my attention. It says, what does community mean? What does community mean? And it, it looked at the, the rise in American individualism and the decline in the trust in American institutions. So you can lump the church in there. And what basically it was saying is people are, are, are moving away from institutional communities uh, that would share with them or help them or, or guide them. It's moving to more an, of an individual society where um, I, kind, I make up what I desire, my rules for myself, and I don't want anyone else to tell me what to do. And so you could, you could, you could lump the institutional church into that category. He makes this, his name was Bill Bishop, he makes this really interesting observation. He says, and I quote him, he says, it used to be that people were born as part of a community. Now, I'm 53, soon to be 54. What happened? But I'm 53. I can remember in the neighborhood. Tell me if some of you can remember this, how much it's changed. Um, 
I grew up in a neighborhood and I knew all my neighbors. How many of you just, you, anybody relate to that? I knew all my, I still remember them. I still remember all my, the Ashentinos, the Galantes. We had a, like an Italian neighbor. I don't know why. The Denunzios. You don't get any better than the Denunzios, right? And, and we had uh, Mrs. Dugan. Her husband wasn't Italian, but she was Italian. I mean, I knew, I knew all my neighbors. I knew my next neighbors. We actually lived, both our neighbors, we lived next to them for years, years. And, and I know our world's much more transient, but I, I knew all my neighbors. If I was walking down the street, Mrs. Dugan would come out, and she lived like 10 houses down. Barden, I've got a relish tray I just made up. You've got to come in and eat. You just knew your name. If I walked down the street now, walked up to my neighbor, two doors down, say, hey, can I come in and have a relish tray? They'd pull a gun on me. They'd say, what are you doing? Right? You were born into that community. You knew people. You knew your neighbors. In fact, what's really interesting... Um, those, you know, Amy Elias and her two aunts lived, lived together. Um, they weren't married. They lived in my street. They, they made cookies. And when they saw me coming around the street bar and come on in, and they always were baking. They just, I was the guinea pig. You like this? I go, yeah. So I would sometimes just walk by their house really slow. You know, hopefully they would see, you know. Um, and, they lived, and they lived on the other side uh, of the block. But you knew your neighbors. And all my friends were in, in, in my neighborhood. And, and sad to say, I may know a couple neighbors on either side of me, but beyond all that, I, I, you know, you know, I'll be jogging, try to wave at somebody, and they just look the other way. I'm like, yo, bro, just wave at me, right? Turn the other way. Throw a rock at your window. No, I'm just te- um, in the name of Jesus. So this is what he's, he's, he, he says. It used to be that people were born as part of a community, and, and then had to find their place as individuals. He says, now people are born as individuals and have to find their way to a community. You see how hard it is to be part of the family of God? Because what we're fighting against now is that you're born in this as an individual and then you try to come into the church and you're like, what do they want from me? What are they trying to get? They're trying to do, right? What do you want? Why are you being so nice to me? You know, just let me come and sit in the back and don't talk to me. Don't call me. Don't come to my house. Don't. When I was first in the ministry, we, we used to, people would come. You go visit them at their house, right? If we did that now, we'd probably get a gun pulled on us again, right? I don't care where you're from. It's just, yeah, and, I, and, and I think he, he touched on something here. He touched on something about individual, being in this individualistic society we live in now. And so as a church, we have to fight. For community, But how many of you know, how many of you can say that when I've become part of the community and the family of God, I see the difference? And I saw that when I first became a Christian as a teenager and I, and I came into the community of the youth group. And all of a sudden now that community became my best friends. Those other Christians helped me in my walk with the Lord. There were other youth workers that helped me. And I love, I, I still got that youth pastor in me. I can't, I can't get it out of me. And I was a children's pastor for years. So I, I like to just see what's going on in the youth group and the kids that are coming. I love chatting with the teenagers and knowing their backstories. They're, you know, I, I just love that. And I love seeing our youth workers just reaching out to kids who were never brought up in church. Who, who, who are from really rough backgrounds, come into the family of God and you reach out to them. You know the reason why they keep coming back? They keep coming back because it's a community that loves them and accepts them. 
And so they keep coming back because we keep loving on them and we keep praying for them. Isn't that wonderful? And, and that's what I found. Now, I was part of a great family. family. My parents were great. But I found this community within my youth group. It wasn't perfect. You know, we all have our flaws. But I found this community within my youth group that I knew loved me. And I found other friends that helped me grow in the Lord. There's something very special about the community of God, the church, when we get plugged in. And we begin to share our hurts and our pains and our faults. And we have other people praying for us. There's just something about that. I want to I I give you a passage that helps us to see the church as a community that I actually serve. And, and a community that I need to be part of because it helps me in my growth with the Lord. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 10. He says, let us think. I want you to think in the context here as I read this passage that the Hebrew writer is writing to those who have been persecuted. And, and those who have been persecuted, what they did was they kind of gave up on the church and they kind of walked away. And so what the Hebrew writer is doing, he's encouraging them to show them how to be one in the church and how to be part of the community of the church and not, not give up uh, just because of persecution. But, but in spite of persecution, you, you need to get all that much closer in the community of, of, of God. And so this is what he says. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love. Now, you can't do that unless you're in community. You can't do that if you're just coming on Sunday morning. You, you've got to be uh, connected to one another. Now, I want, as I keep reading here, remember that the early church was not, not you know, they didn't meet in big buildings like this. Uh, it, it was homes. They were meeting in, in really small groups. So, so get, get that, have that framework as we continue to go through this. It says, let us think of ways that we can uh, motivate acts of love and good works. And then, he's, and then the Hebrew writer says, um, let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I know some of you may have heard this and you use this first when someone misses church one week. Hey, let me point you to Hebrews 10.25. Don't neglect the meeting. Okay, that's totally taken out of context, okay? Let's understand what this means. What the Hebrew writer is saying is there are those because of persecution who just walked away from the community of believers, and so I want you to get the context here of, of the Hebrew writer. Encourage them. Listen, do everything you can to encourage one another. Do everything you can to spur one another onto acts of love. And don't give up on the church. Don't give up on it. It may be hard. There may be persecution. But don't give up on the community of God. And there are many people who gave up on church because they got hurt in church. How many know that you're eventually going to get hurt in church? Can I just let you know that I'll say something stupid. Um, there's going to be someone else that's going to do something wrong or stupid and we're going to get hurt. But, but does that give us reason to give up on the church? Never, never. And so the Hebrew is saying, don't give up on the church, whether it's persecution or hurt relationships. We need the body of Christ because that is the only way that we are truly going to grow. Somebody say amen. Because here's the reason why. When I'm in relationship with one another, right? There can be friction. Iron sharpens iron, right? There's going to be that friction. But, but it's good because it helps us to grow. When someone else annoys me, 
right? It's like, okay, now I, I have a choice to love them or just get mad and pick up my toys and go, go to another church, right? And then all you do is take all those problems over there, right? And so we've got to be really careful here about how we think about this. We grow most in community of other believers. And so this is where I just want to challenge you today is, is if you've never done this, I want to challenge you. And this, this may be a really scary step for some of you. And that's the step of, of plugging into a small group. And I know for some of you, are like, ah, pastor, I don't know. These small groups, they become therapy sessions. And I'm going to have to pour out my whole life. No, okay? That's not, that's not what they're for. Here's the reason why I believe um, community groups are, are so important. Um, because when you get part of a smaller group, you begin to get involved in other people's lives. And the only way we're going to grow in unity and grow as a community is if we know each other. If we know each other. And I love hearing testimonies of our small groups. I want to share a, just a testimony of one small group. We have one of our acts groups. It's led by Terry Gerard and uh, Terry lost her husband some years ago. And many of the women that come to this group um, uh, have lost spouses. But um, I always, I love Terry always upstates me on, what's going on in their acts group, in their small group. And I just, I said, Terry, would you just write some thoughts down for me about your group? And here's what Terry said. She said, it's such a privilege to be part of one of the acts groups at Living Word Church. Our group consists of women who come from all different walks of life and different likes and dislikes. But we come together once a month to share God's word and to pray for each other's needs. We all look forward to our time together when we have the opportunity to share what is on our hearts no one feels pressure to join in the conversation. We actually find we want to contribute our thoughts to a group without feeling judgmental, without feeling a judgmental eye on us. Praying for our church, our country, family, and the needs of one another has come to bind us together. To be honest, in the beginning, none of us knew what to expect. But over these past years, we consider ourselves a family of believers. Mm. Terry gets it. We know we can call each other if needs arise and we will hear a positive, encouraging word from a sister in Christ. We rest assured knowing that what we share is kept within our group. Being part of an action group has helped each, of, each one of us grow in our relationships with God and brings unity to our group. And let me add to that, brings unity to our fellowship. She says, give yourself a gift and, and, and try joining one of the Acts groups. You would be most welcomed and you'd be surprised at the growth in your Christian walk. I wanted to show you a picture of a bunch of Motley guy, crew guys here. This is um, our Thursday morning, 6.30 uh, Motley crew of guys here. Um, some of these guys that meet, we meet every week, by the way, on Thursday mornings at 6.30 here. Some of these guys actually come at like 5.30 or 5.45. I'm like... Bless you, but I'm going to be here at 6.30, okay? Um, and some of these guys have been meeting in this group for years. And here's, let me share you my heart about these men. It's been my honor and privilege to see them grow in the Lord. Now listen, I can, I can get to know some of these guys on Sunday morning, but I've gotten to know them because of this group. 
And these guys will reach out to each other. They'll help each other. They've made connections. They'll call each other. Thank God they don't have to call me. They'll call one of the other guys. Uh, and that's great. I love that. Not that they, don't, they can't call me, but I love that they feel secure enough to call the other guys saying, what do you think about this? What's your thoughts about this? And they pray for one another. See, here's what I want you to, to gather about, about plugging into a, a small group. I know it's a big step for some of you, but I believe this is the heartbeat and the core of our church when we get to know each other more personal, in a more personal way. And I believe we grow from that and we can ask questions and we can challenge each other and some of our beliefs that may be off kilter or off. And we can say, you know what? You challenged me there. I didn't like it at first. I was thinking about leaving the group, but you know what? The Lord's really convicted me on that. Thank you for allowing me to see what scriptures have said here. Thank you for helping me in this area. Thank you for praying for my family, so on and so forth, for my life and the things that I'm going through. And listen, the closer we get, we really see some of the things that we're going through and the hardships that we go through. And I'll tell you what, it's nothing greater than having a band of brothers around you that know they're going to pray for you. And so what I've done for you is in your, um, in your bulletins, I, I just, just open those if you have them, but he, here's just a bunch of our groups that, that you can get um, connected to. And I want you to read through that. And at the bottom, uh, at the bottom in your program is just an email address that if, if you just feel like, yeah, I've got to get plugged in more, um, you can email us and we'll plug you into the right group. Whether it's an act group that meets once a week or a, we've got men's group that meets Thursday morning. We have SoulCon for men that meet um, uh, you know, once a month on a Saturday morning. We've got a ladies' Bible study that meets at Stephanie Sylvester's house on, on every other Monday. Um, you know, we've got our Wednesday night programs here for Bible studies. Um, we we want to help you to take that next step. We can get you plugged into a once a month ask group that meets at people's homes. It's it's it, couples can go, singles can go. It's just it, it's a wonderful thing um, to be able to take that next step. So I just want to challenge you not to browbeat you or to make you feel guilty, but here's the thing that just talking to people who've made that next step to get plugged into a small group. They'll be the first to tell you, yeah, Terry's right. Terry's right. This has really helped me, and I'm so glad that I have people that surround me. And I believe that that's what makes our church a community, is when we do life together and that we're ministering to each other's needs. I love as a pastor when I hear after the fact when someone needed something and then they came back to me a week later and say, Pastor, this person, blah, 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 did you know? I go, no, I didn't hear about it. Oh, well, someone already took care of it. Amen. Wow. That's the church. That's community because someone knew the need and they just took care of it. See, that's Christ being glorified in his church. And let me just say something. When we do that, it creates unity with our body. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to tear down what God is doing here. But we're going to fight as a church to say, "Mm -mm, not going to happen here. We're going to fight for each other and we're going to pray for each other because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you today and, and, uh, and just ask God, listen, um, some of you are going through some really challenging things in your life. Let me say, don't do what your inclination would tell you to do is to remove yourself from the body because you're embarrassed or, 
whatever, I would tell you, no, just the opposite. You need to press in. And you need people around you that are going to stand with you, that are going to pray with you. And you do that when you get in a community of a small group. Amen? So do you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And, and the worship team's going to lead us just in a song uh, today. Amen. Father God, we just come before you now. And Lord, we just need your help. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who feels like that they feel alone or they may feel alienated from the church or, or maybe feel like, you know, I've been coming for a long time, but no one's reached out to me. Lord, I pray you just speak to them. That you would just um, encourage them to take that next step, God, to, to get plugged into a small group. I pray for those who may have, may have said, Pastor, I've done that in other churches, but I got hurt because I shared some things and people gossiped or whatever. God, I pray we'd overcome that and that we would become vulnerable, vulnerable again and, and, and take a risk just to get involved again because we know that's what you want us to do, Lord. Take away that bitterness. Give us forgiveness, God, because the church isn't perfect. We're going to make mistakes all the time, but we need to walk in the spirit of Christ in these areas. Lord, I thank you for living word. Lord, I pray that we would fight for one another, that we would stand for one another. I thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that we would continue to serve each other, to love each other as you've called us to do, Lord. That, God, we wouldn't give up. That we would strive to serve you even when it's hard. And we can only do that with your presence and with your power. So I thank you for your church today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage those who haven't to just take that step. To take that step to get closer and to open up their lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your church. Thank you for your forgiveness and the patience that you have with us. We love you. We thank you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.